This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to today's podcast episode. It's a solo one, and I'm going to be answering anonymously submitted questions. Dun, dun, dun. Jordan Vets these questions and then pops the ones that are respectful into a document for me so I can just go through and access those. Jordan did let me know that there were a lot more anonymous questions than we have ever had submitted before and a lot of them were surrounding the fact that the weekend I shared this anonymous link, I had shared that my mum was over and people were all like just in all sorts that I dared to share that I had prepared uh, the relationship with my mum, which is just so silly that people were all up in arms over it. And I feel like I've spoken about it enough. I spoke about it on Instagram stories. So I'm not going to answer the hundreds of questions that were submitted, like just probing for information there. I will say that so many people have fractured relationships within their family as well. And sometimes time out is needed. Sometimes you really do have to step away from things. And also sometimes you have to just let stuff go and accept that people are, sometimes people are not going to give you the thing that you most want from them. They might not validate you or see you or hear you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your pain isn't real. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that perhaps they're not in a place where they can do that for whatever reason. And we all change and grow at different speeds. And sometimes you just have to meet someone where they are and extend forgiveness to yourself and, you know, really, really look after yourself more than anything. So there's that. Uh, I will now go through and answer a couple of these questions. Can you please share your thoughts on kids having sleepovers? Reading about sleepovers being too risky for fear of SA, sexual assault, I'm guessing. Thank you for sharing with us. I have never let the boys have a sleepover at anyone's house other than a grandparent's house. And the amount of times that they have had a sleepover at a grandparent's house would be less than I could count on one hand, you know. At most in their nine years of life, maybe five nights all up, four or five nights, maybe. And yeah, only at my dad's or my mum's house. They have stayed at uh, their grandparents' house on the other side, um, like on, on their dad's side, but only when he has been staying there with them as well, to my knowledge. I've had sleepovers with them where we've stayed at friends' houses uh, or other family members' homes. But yeah, I just haven't felt comfortable with them going off to have sleepovers with people that I don't know really, really well. And truthfully, if we were to look at the statistics, 
even if you know someone really, really well, that it doesn't mean that it's safe. Uh, the statistics tell us if a child is going to be harmed, often the parents do know, trust and like the person that has access to their child. We have had sleepovers here so the boys can invite friends over and have friends stay the night with us. And I, because I am kind of that, not kind of, because I am quite vigilant with not letting the boys have sleepovers yet, although they do have friends that I would feel comfortable now and now that the boys are that bit older and I do feel very confident that they understand uh, boundaries and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate because we have so many conversations surrounding it. But even when we've had friends stay over here, I often, I think, probably over-communicate to parents. Like I've said, you know, I've got a blue card. This is my partner. This is that. Like I try and give people a lot of information and access to their child as well whilst we have them in their care and be really respectful, you know, even to the point where the boys have had friends stay over and there's one one child that can I think is quite sensitive and I I get him like I understand a little bit about him just because of one of my own boys and so I had said to his mum like do you think he would like like when I give the boys a hug good night do you think that he would like me to give him a hug good night because some kids like I think that they would like that but they wouldn't necessarily ask for it so I just clear those things first with parents and it's an age group where the kids are all so self-sufficient, you know, they can shower themselves, sort themselves out, change themselves, they can feed themselves, they can do all of the things. Um, so it's a different dynamic, I guess. But yeah, I haven't let the boys had, have sleepovers at other people's houses. We have friends that we've now known for years, you know, the whole time that they've been at school that I do feel quite comfortable with the parents. I can think of one family in particular that I would Actually, I can think of two families in particular that I would be okay with the boys having sleepovers there, um, but at the same time, I'm not going to rush it. One of the boys has a school camp coming up at the end of the year. Well, they both have a school camp, but they're in separate schools at this point in time. That could change, but right now, just during this trial period when I'm recording this episode, they are in separate schools and they both have the opportunity to go to school camps, but one of the school camps is for five nights, six days, quite far away um, and not easily accessible at all. Like I'm talking, it's like Norfolk Island. So it's far from where I live. I wouldn't be able to get there, all of that sort of stuff. So I said no to that because I think at nine years old, six days away is a bridge too far when they've never had a sleepover anywhere else. And when I know that they don't have a particularly close connection with any of those teachers that are going to be going, Whereas my other son who has started at this other school, the school camp is for two nights and it is within driving distance. And that I feel comfortable with. I think, okay, that feels a little more manageable than the five nights at an island that I can't actually access should I need to. I think it's a very personal thing when it comes to sleepovers and every family is so different. I feel like it's such an honor that there are parents who let their kids come and stay over here. And I really like that the parents seem very relaxed and happy and comfortable with that arrangement. Um, I, I said in an earlier podcast that I think we've already shared that I love having a full house. I really like having all of the kids here. I want to be that house where the kids come here rather than the kids going somewhere else. 
Um, And there are probably so many different reasons for that. I remember myself as a child, I didn't like having sleepovers. So maybe I like that informs some of the decisions I make. I also, um, I just, yeah, I know that the boy, one of the boys in particular can be quite nervy about sleepovers as well. I also think like every life experience we have kind of impacts, not every, but the big life experiences we have shapes how we feel as well. You know, even the fact that when the boys were born, they went straight into special care and I couldn't have that skin on skin. I'm sure that that has shaped the way that I parent and how I probably, you know, to compared to other parents might seem to be over-involved or, you know, a bit clingy with the kids and all of that sort of stuff. But I've always been that hypervigilant parent. When the boys were little was around the time that like William Tyrrell went missing and Daniel Morecambe and like those little boys are never far from my mind and have always made me, I think, be that little bit more aware little bit more protective. So I think when it comes to sleepovers, there's no hard and fast rule, you know, like it's not like, okay, once they reach this age, then it's safe. I think you just have to go with your gut and honor what feels comfortable for you. And just because other parents are comfortable with it doesn't mean that you have to be or there's anything wrong with you. Having a lot of conversations with your kids, teaching them about uh, their right to their body all of that sort of stuff. It's really, really important. All right, next one. A bit superficial, but doesn't your tan come off in the ocean or pool? I am tanned and then not so much with the little brain scramble emoji. It is so funny how many people will send in questions about fake tanning. I guess if you are a tanner, then you are a committed tanner and you know how annoying it can be. I scrub my tan off. I don't even scrub it off that much anymore. Kind of just, I have a system. But yeah, if I go in the pool, of course, if I have a couple of days swimming, then yeah, my fake tan will end up a bit patchy. It's when Brendan calls me his little tiger toast and I look like a loaf of cob, like cob loaf bread or tiger bread. I get all stripy and patchy. I haven't noticed it as much with the ocean. I feel like the ocean though, After an ocean swim, I usually have a swim and then I moisturize again. So maybe it's more that I'm rinsing it off me and I'm moisturizing. Whereas in the pool, I might have a day where I'm in and out of the pool a bit more with the kids. Sometimes even just sitting on the edge and having my legs dangling in the pool, I'll notice that my fake tan will start to crack and that's just part of it. I made peace with that a little while ago. Years ago, actually, I made a decision, especially last year, that cracked tan my fake tan coming off or wet hair was not going to stop me from living my life and swimming with the kids. So I adhere to that for the most part. Of course, there are exceptions. If I've just washed and blow dried my hair and the kids are like, jump off the wall with us, I might say, "Mm, maybe tomorrow because I've just washed and blow dried my hair and it's taken an hour. But for the most part, I have had wet hair a lot more in the last 12 months than I have in their whole life. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
Okay, next up. I had my heart broken last week. Where do I start the journey to repair? I'm so sorry that you've had your heart broken and that you're in that right now. I want to give you a big hug and I know how that feels. I know how much it hurts and like that pain can just be very, very all-consuming. A broken heart is just incredibly painful. And there have been studies done that show that the pain of a breakup lights up the pain pathways in your brain as if you are in physical pain. So just go very easy on yourself. I know that the question was specifically like, how do I start to heal? But I think before you start to heal, you have to really, really feel into that sadness and that heaviness because if you focus too much on getting past it or suppressing it or distracting yourself too much, that pain is still going to exist and it will come out at another time. I know that because that's what I did. I think for sure in my marriage breakdown, I was very good at suppressing it and over-functioning. And then when I went through a breakup that was far less significant, you know, nearly two years later, that nearly destroyed me, but it was like I cracked open and all of this pain from my divorce had come out. I think it's really beautiful that you want to focus on healing and move towards healing and that will absolutely come. You might hear the rain start to pour down there. Uh, the healing will come and you will take these this pain and turn it into your lessons and your blessings. I know that for sure. But right now you might just have to really, really feel that pain. Definitely practice some emergency post-breakup CPR. And what I mean by that is what do you need to do right now as well to just keep yourself as safe as possible? So do you need to remove things in your environment that are potentially triggering for you? Do you need to stop going to places right now that are potentially triggering for you and are going to cause you more significant pain? Do you need to cut off all communication with your ex? And I know that can be a very, very tricky one, but when we are experiencing heartbreak, it can be so tempting to turn to the person that has caused that heartbreak and want them to fix it, but you just can't anymore. You have to learn to rely on yourself and your other support people. So do you need to go for a no contact arrangement at the moment with that person as well? journaling as cliche as it is, you know, and even when I listen to podcasts and I hear people say, oh, journal on it. It's like, oh, I don't want to journal on it. Um, But spewing out your thoughts and feelings, pen to paper or fingertips to keyboard can be so cathartic because during heartbreak, when you are all over the place, it can be tempting to reach out to your ex and you might send her something really angry or mean, but then the next day you're sad and you wouldn't have sent that. So just having a practice where you write everything down daily or as it comes to you and you don't act on it, you know, write that angry letter, but don't send it. Write that heartbroken letter, but don't send it. Maybe even if you are struggling to access the sadness, you might find that watching a really sad movie helps or listening to a really sad playlist. There was this one song that I listened to so much during a breakup and I would just cry and cry and cry, but it felt really, really good to move that out of my system or yeah, a sad movie to allow you just to crack open if you're having difficulty doing that. 
I would, of course, uh, also recommend, it would be remiss of me not to mention quickly, you could grab yourself a copy of Surviving Separation that is available at thefray.com. Especially if you like podcasts, I think you will enjoy Surviving Separation. It takes you through all of the stuff that you need to know when you are healing and to be able to actually take this pain and channel it towards something that will serve you eventually. Um, So grab yourself a copy of Surviving Separation as well and just know that even when things are so hard and so dark, you will you will be able to find like a little spark of hope and just keep moving forward. And who knows what tomorrow will bring? Who knows where you'll be in a week, in a month, in a year? Just keep looking after yourself and nurturing any little bit of hope that comes up for you. I even found during my heartbreak that it was just really comforting for me to listen to other women's stories, you know, other women who had been through really challenging stuff and knowing that, hey, I'm not alone. I can get through this. So maybe it's just searching for different podcasts of different people's stories or reading true stories, uh, all that sort of stuff. There are a lot of suggestions in Surviving Separation as well. Next up. I'm 25 and I'm dating someone with alcohol addiction. He has been trying to fix the problem for a few months with a psychologist. He has limited the amount and he only drinks at night and he is making progress. Any advice on the situation or how to draw a boundary? I have never been in this situation, nor am I qualified to speak on the topic of alcoholism or any addiction really. I can just empathize with you and I can also say that I can imagine it's really, really exhausting for you and it's an emotional roller coaster for you as well. And I imagine if I was in your situation, there would be half of me that knows that, you know, everyone is flawed and we have to support each other and no one is perfect and maybe we can white knuckle through this and hang on and see the change and you want to be that support person. And then there is the other part of me that thinks like you're only 25, 25 or 26, but maybe right now this person, like as much as you want to be there for the person that you're seeing you have to be very, very careful not to become the caretaker and not to, uh, not to, uh, what's the word? Like lower, lower your standard sounds awful because alcoholism is of course a sickness and this person is not doing it to you to cause you pain. They are likely in a lot of pain themselves and it is their coping mechanism. But you also have to know that how you feel and you matter so much in this relationship and it's going to take a big toll on you. So I would really encourage you to get some counseling or some therapy for yourself and to work out what those boundaries are. No one that, you know, I don't know this situation at all. So I can't even say to you, oh, maybe this is a boundary you should implement. But if you speak with someone who is trained in the area, I'm sure that you will be able to come up with what your boundaries are and you can practice instilling those boundaries so that this doesn't become the sort of situation where you are compromising so much that you don't recognize yourself in six months. You know, if we compromise to the point where you make yourself so small and so insignificant and you become 
like the grout in the tiles of this person's life, you're going to resent them and you only get to do your 20s once and it's beautiful that you want to be there for this person. I don't have any hist- like I don't have any of the nuances here. I don't know how long you've been with each other. I don't know how serious it is. I don't know if you live with each other. I don't have that info. The only information I have at hand is that your partner has made some improvements. He is working on it. He is aware of it. And that is brilliant. That is so positive. But also, I just don't want you to lose yourself in this relationship or prioritize someone else's mental health over what's important to you. Have a little bit of a think about what your non-negotiables are in a relationship. Is this person meeting your needs in those areas? And he could be, you know, if he is very honest and he shows up for you most of the time in most of the ways that you need and alcoholism isn't triggering for you, you know, because there are just so many layers to this, whether or not he is an angry drunk, whether or not he is unkind to you, whether or not they are truthful, like there's so many different layers here, but I would just encourage you to think about your own non-negotiables seeking your own support and help and drawing your own boundaries and perhaps thinking about how you can really uh, establish those boundaries and protect yourself. I hope that that is helpful. I don't know if it will be. I haven't had a lot of lived experience in that department, but that's, I guess, what I feel drawn to share with you. Next up, where to start with creating habits for study with needing help from the husband as I have been getting up at 3am to study. We have two preschool age kids and both have autism, which he struggles to handle. It sounds like you have an incredibly full plate. Two preschool age children, both on the autistic spectrum and you're trying to study. You cannot keep getting up at 3am, I don't think. I don't imagine. I don't know what your day is like. Maybe you can. Maybe after lunch you can lie down and have a sleep. I don't know what your day is like. But I do know that 3am, 4am, 2am, all of the, like that window of time overnight in the early hours of the morning, we really need that. We really, really need that to recover and repair and have a restful sleep so that you can parent. And parenting two preschool-aged children at the best of times is exhausting. So burning the candle at both sticks, at both burning the candle at both ends is probably not going to end well for you. Um again, I don't have a lot of the details here that I can fill in to maybe that would maybe provide a much more helpful and cohesive picture. I think the language of I need help from the husband, your husband raising, your husband being an involved parent is not help. You're both parents, right? You help each other with different things, but I just don't think that parenting should be your or anyone's specific domain and then it's like the other parent helps occasionally. You both have equal responsibility and yes, maybe you know, and I'm putting words in your mouth here, but maybe you're at home with the kids and you have been at home with the kids and now you're studying and you've had this role where it's like your husband leaves the house and he earns the money and then he comes home and he does a little bit of the parenting to, and in a way you feel like that's helping you. 
but your non-financial contributions towards the family matter as much as his financial con- financial contributions towards the family as well. It is not helping you for him to be an active, involved parent. And I would think a loving partner wouldn't want you to be getting up at 3 a.m., stealing from your restful sleep, burning yourself out, making yourself cranky, making yourself more susceptible to illness, all of those things because you're burnt out at 3 a.m. I would hope that a loving partner would really want to support you in your study journey in a way that actually is sustainable. So I would call a bit of a meeting and I would use I statements. I wouldn't go in for the defensive. I wouldn't be like, well, I listened to this podcast and she said, you're not a loving partner, but you could absolutely say, hey, like this goal is important to me. These are goals that are important to you. What can we do with the pooled resources? How can we make this work? I can appreciate that there can be dynamics where one parent is better at handling certain situations. And that's normally because we have to, (laughs) like it's normally because we've had to do that or we've had more practice at it. So I understand that dynamic of going, well, you know what? I just handle the kids better. So let me do it. I feel you, but just because I feel you and understand doesn't mean that it is fair. So I think it's probably a case of your partner having to step up and learning how to handle his children. Um, And, yeah, having those boundaries in place so that you're not impacted. Study tips, study habits. I think, first of all, you have to agree on a time of day that you will actually be able to study. Do you function better in the morning? Do you function better at night? Would you function more if it was, you know, a full day over the weekend? Like, have a real think about what would actually work for you because you are entitled to express what would work for you and to at least have that on the table, right? I am so sick of us women being exactly like I said, the grout amongst the tiles of our family. You know, we just allow ourselves to seep into the cracks and that's awful. It's an awful, awful way to be, but so many of us are in that spot or have been in that spot. So I would would encourage you to sit down with your husband, lay it all out, This is why it's important to me. This is what I would like. How can we make that happen and go from there? I think that's going to be much more helpful than focusing too much on creating habits, um, you know, like little micro hacks, you know, like time blocking and to-do lists and all that sort of stuff. First and foremost, you have to know that you matter and know that your partner should be, could be able to actually step up and really help you there. All right, there are a few more questions that have come through, but I might save those for part two of the anonymous questions. As always, guys, this is just my, these are just my answers. That's not to say that I would answer differently on it, you know, like maybe if I get asked these questions in a month's time, I would answer them differently. I am not a mental health worker, nor do I claim to be. I'm just providing a answer that could be helpful for food for thought. It doesn't mean that this is like the holy grail and that you should, you know, swear by swear by my words or anything like that. I can only share with you my initial response. So anyway, if you've enjoyed this episode, absolutely let me know. You can slide into my DMs, share with me. As you guys know, very soon we are about to change the podcast a little bit. 
new name. We're going to also be able to text you, which I think is pretty cool. Jordan and I have been playing around with that uh, system today. So I've been having text messages come through from myself, which is a bit strange, but I'm excited. I'm really excited for everything that we have coming up for you guys after these school holidays. So I will love and leave you for now and I'll chat with you very, very soon. Are you gonna make a move? Are you gonna come and see what I